Turn in your Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we begin with verse 23. I pray that those who are consistent in our worship services will take notes and will know your way around in the Bible. And if someone should say, where do you find in the Bible the account of the Lord's Supper? You'd be able to say, well, you turn to 1 Corinthians 11. Of course, you could turn to one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and they would say something about it. But the clearest passage is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And the reason for it is because Paul wrote to the Corinthian church after he had founded that church, and he had left it for a while, and all kinds of burdens and problems and misunderstandings had crept into the fellowship. He wrote the entire book of 1 Corinthians to straighten out problems. And we just need to thank God over and over again for the church at Corinth with all of its problems because it called forth one of the most noble chapters or books in the entire Bible. This epistle to 1 Corinthians, this first letter to the Corinthian Christians, deals with almost any problem you can imagine a church having. And they were having a problem over the Lord's Supper. And do you know that Baptists through the years have had problems over the Lord's Supper? Now, not as much recently as we used to have, but there have been times when uh, there were what they called close the doors and bar the window policies on the Lord's Supper. And they'd say, if you ain't one of us, you leave. And, uh, and then there were others that have had all kinds of misunderstandings about the Lord's Supper. I think the heart of the Lord's Supper is in this particular passage. We're going to receive the Lord's Supper in a little while. And a service where this takes place needs to be an extra special service. The songs tonight have been extra special. All of the music has centered on the cross. And Paul has something important to say to us about self-examination. Beginning in verse 23, he says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, that is an adverb, it describes the manner in which we take it, it does not describe how worthy we are to take it. It has to do with how we take it. Whosoever, and, uh, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And let me pause to say immediately that the Lord's Supper is for saved sinners. 
It is not for saved, self-righteous people. Self-righteous people have a lot of repenting to do. And when we come to the Lord's Supper, we need to be aware of our sins. It was our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. And even though we are forgiven and cleansed and our sins are under the blood, we must never forget that we are sinners saved by grace. Therefore, we never have a right to look down our nose at somebody else. Now, there's a difference in preaching the truth of the Word, which has high standards. And we need to do that. But there's a difference in that and looking down at somebody who does not meet these standards. That has to do with the heart. Verse 28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread, and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, now this has to do with the way in which we do it. It does not have to do with whether we're worthy or not. And that's so hard for God's people to understand. Over and over again we hear somebody say, well, I'm not worthy to take the Lord's Supper. None of us is. There's not one person in this room tonight who is worthy to sit down at the Lord's table. That's his table. But Christ made us worthy because our sins are blotted out for Jesus' sake. But this has to do with the way in which we take it. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh judgment or damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That is, not understanding, not comprehending the Lord's body. And the Lord's body in this instance can mean two things. Number one, the body, the broken body of the Lord. That is, that he died on the cross for our sins. He, he gave his back to the smiters. He gave his cheek to those who would pull out his beard. They drove the sword in his side. They pierced his hands and his feet with nails. Our Lord was treated illy, mistreated. And we need to remember that his body was broken for us. But perhaps... A clearer interpretation of this passage has to do with his spiritual body, which is the church. We are his body. And when this says, not discerning the Lord's body, we're talking about the Lord's church. And how precious is the body of Christ to Christ. Now Christ is the head of the body. He is the brains he is the decision maker. He is the eye uh, depot, you might say. The, it is through his eyes we need to see the world. It is through his thinking that we need to think the thoughts of God. But we are his body. Now, in your body, your toes don't make decisions. Your head makes the decision, prompted by your heart, by your will. Your feet don't really make decisions. Your mind makes those decisions. Your hands don't make decisions. Your mind and your will make those decisions. Now in the body of Christ, we do not make the decisions. He makes the decisions. We are his body. He is the head. 
And to discern the Lord's body means to understand that we are the body of Christ. And we're to have great empathy and love one for another. Great understanding and compassion. For love covers a multitude of sins. You know, when in our body our hand does something wrong, and sometimes it does, wouldn't it be an anomaly? Wouldn't it be strange if the toes would get together and talk about the hand? Just think of what that hand did. Blah, 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 blah. Why the toes don't do that? The toes just keep right on going, keep right on working. Sometimes that hand has to be smacked. Sometimes God has to smack it. But the toes don't do it. In the body of Christ, when a member fails or makes a mistake, I'm not sure it's God's will that the toes get together, the fingers get together and, and talk about uh, what a terrible thing uh, the elbow did. When I was in college, they used to have a little thing that we ate fa we'd ate family style. And they'd have a little uh, expression, uh, and they'd, they'd call this out and embarrass the socks off you. You know, you're trying to teach your manners, and if you leaned your elbow on the table, they'd say, Richard, old and strong and able, get those elbows off the table. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awful if the toes or the fingers got together and said, look what that elbow did, see? No, we don't do that. Now, in the body of Christ, in the body of Christ, when we come to the Lord's table, we need to discern, discern the Lord's body and express with great love and care our compassion and understanding spirit toward others. Amen. And not be negative and critical one of another. Amen. And so this says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily in an unworthy manner, eateth and drinketh judgment or damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many asleep. Now that means you get sick if you do not obey this thing. And some sleep. And when the New Testament speaks of sleeping, it's not talking about snoozing, taking a snooze in the choir. Are going to sleep on those cushioned benches we now have. It's talking about dying. And Brother McGinnis brought a great message on Monday night at the revival meeting at Plum Springs on the fact that our lives can be cut off. Many Christians die because they do not obey this scripture. I'm talking about physical death. I'm not talking about going to hell. A Christian can't go to hell. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. But when we come to the Lord's table, look what we're to do. Verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. I am so glad those two verses are in the Bible. You ought to mark them in your Bible. Young people mark them, old people mark them, juniors mark them, kids mark them. Everybody ought to mark those two verses. Because this says that when we come to the Lord's Supper, one of the major purposes of the Lord's Supper is for us to take stock of ourselves. Look into our own hearts. Judge ourselves so that we will not be judged 
with the world. Because when we judge ourselves, we'll not have to be judged by God. But if we're judged by God, now we're talking about not talking about the judgment seat of Christ, we're not talking about the great white throne judgment, we're talking about right here and now. If we're judged of God, then God has to chasten us. He has to discipline us so that we will not be judged with the world at the great white throne judgment. And dear precious people, you just think how fortunate we are to have the Lord's Supper night. And some churches observe it every Sunday. There's nothing wrong with that. Some churches observe it once a month. There's nothing wrong with that. We observe it once a quarter here. And we usually do it on Sunday night. There's nothing wrong with that. But as often as you do it, you remember the Lord until He comes. You remember what He's done for us. You remember that He, because of love, paid the price for our sins on an old rugged cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my dearest riches, I count but loss. And just pour contempt on all my pride. Now there are four areas that I want to suggest we need to judge tonight. Number one, this is true in nations. Nations get judged according to the light they have. Now, there will never be a nation that has ever existed or ever will exist that has had more light than America. Amen. The United States of America has had the light. We were founded by God-seekers rather than gold-seekers. Our forefathers, not able to tolerate the tyranny of the ancient kings and potentates, left the old world and came over here to say, we want to found a nation where we can worship God according to the dictates of our hearts. We came not freedom from worship seeking, but freedom to worship. But as is true in every democracy, in the very democracy itself, there are the seeds of self-destruct. And we have come to a juncture in American history where we have put God out of the classroom we put God out of public things. We've said that we don't have to follow the Word of God. We can't even teach what our forefathers taught consistently in the schools. We can't even teach that in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. We can teach Darwinian evolution, but we cannot teach, and it's not a theory, we cannot teach the truth of the Word of God. Now that's the juncture point we've come to in life. And I think it's come so gradually that we're so used to it that we don't rebel against it anymore. We just say, well, that's just part of it. That's, we accept that and so on. But I want to tell you, God will bring judgment on a nation that has the light and turns away from it. If you want the example of that, turn to Romans chapter 1. We'll not have time to do it tonight. But God talked about those who once knew God and turned away from him and worshiped the created being rather than the creator and God gave them up and if you notice the sequence in which God gave them up God gave them up to their own foolish imaginations here was what God planned and man said I don't need to do what God plans I'll do what I plan and as a result 
the homosexual trends began and began and continued and continued and got deeper and got deeper and God said, I'll give them up. I'll give them up. And finally he gave them over to reprobate mind and I'm wondering if America is at that point now. Where judgment is already built in. We cannot tell right from wrong, black from white. Everything is gray. And God will bring judgment. And when we come to the Lord's table, we need to pray for America. And we need to judge ourselves as we fit into America. That is, we need to determine how are we going to stand on important national issues when we go to vote. Are we going to find out the, the, the spiritual understanding and ph philosophical background of those men for whom we cast ballots? Are we going to cast ballots for people who have no regard philosophically for the things of the Word of God? We may not at all agree with all the policies of our president, but there's no one here who can deny the fact that Ronald Reagan has brought God back into America. A God consciousness. And has had it, found it easy to say, like Franklin Roosevelt used to, God bless you, God bless America. In those fireside chats as I was growing up, Franklin Roosevelt used to close almost every speech by making us God conscious. We were in the midst of a terrible, bloody war. And he would pray. been a long time since we've had presidents that have talked about being born again but we've not had a president for a long time who has brought God into public life and as a result America has a new wave of patriotism and pride God gave us an opportunity and now the media and the others are eroding that 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 opportunity we had and I believe God is about to stand back in the shadows and say, okay, go on. Do what you want to do. <laughs> Secondly, not only does God judge nations, but God judges families. And when we come to the Lord's table as a family, mom and dad and children, and if you do not have a family, but you represent your, your, a single life, and when you come to the Lord's Supper, we need to examine the style of our living as it relates to family relationships. And when we judge ourselves, God will not have to judge us. As we turn the spotlight and focus light of God internally in our own hearts into our family circle, we can say, God, please look inside of my family life. And I want to ask that it be scrutinized by God and if there are indiscrepancies if there are inconsistencies if there are things that have gotten into my life that nobody knows about if there's been unfaithfulness if there's been that awful gnawing desire for pornography that got one of the TV preachers not long ago and you know that it's there and you've covered it up and hidden it talk to God about it when you come to the Lord's Supper you're a Christian remember God judges families and if we judge ourselves and look internally at ourselves 
God won't have to judge us. I don't have the time to go further than that, but I want to ask the Holy Spirit to interpret even deeper into every family's life that's here tonight how God can deal with a family. And so when we come to this Lord's table, please examine your own life. Husband, are you giving to your wife what she needs? Wives, are you giving to your husbands what he needs? One of the most wicked things that can happen in a family relationship is for a wife to withdraw herself from her husband or a husband to withdraw himself from his wife. And the Bible connects that with hindrances to prayer. And so when we come to the Lord's table, we need to judge ourselves in regard to all of these matters, the personal matters, the intimate matters, the fellowship matters, the courtesy matters. Thirdly, God judges churches. And when the body of Christ comes together, if we judge ourselves, we'll not have to be judged by the Lord. As a church, are we the church that Jesus wants us to be? As we turn the fo focus light of God internally, are we what God wants us to be as a body of Christ? First, do we love each other? Do we express that love one to another? Or do we run in church like it's a filling station and we fill up with gas and we can hardly wait to pay the cashier and run out? And we don't take time. Most of you would go to the filling station. Don't take time to stand around and talk to the filling station owner and tell him how much you appreciate him and, and uh, so on. You don't do that. Maybe once in a while if he's a friend of yours, you do. But most of the time you just run in and out. And we, Sometimes we treat church like that. We run to church and then we run out. We need to stay around a little while and express our love and gratitude and appreciation one to the other. Like you did a while ago. I wish all of you could have been on the platform and... And you could have seen this beautiful thing, some young people going to their parents to say, I love you. I guess that's what they said. I don't think they went and said, I hate you. <laughs> and some husbands went to their wives, and some other Christians went to other Christians. We need to do that regularly. We come into God's house, and we come to the Lord's table, we're reminded of that. As a church, are we really heading in the direction that God wants us to head? You know, Folks, pray for our long-range planning committee. They're so tremendous, precious, precious men who have had on their heart the good of this church, the future of this church for many years. We're 12 years from, 19, from the year 2000. The decisions that are made in these next few years will mark us out into the, to the 21st century if the Lord tarries. And we can determine to be a little body of believers here that love each other and love what we've got. I pray for myself and my family and my son's family. In Jesus' name, amen. Or we can say, Lord, there are 80,000 people in this county. There are going to be 100,000 soon. What would you have us do to be part of an army that tries to reach the unreached? Man. Can we do it at this location? Maybe so. 
years ago when we located here there wasn't anything beyond Small House Road that was a belt almost around Bowling Green if you called it we didn't call them belts in those days but it was uh, that was it beyond that was a cornfield Oliver Street was there but beyond that there was nothing and to get to Oliver you had to go off of Small House and, you're, and that was sort of dead end over there you couldn't you, Small House was the belt Today, you can ask people across the city, where is Small House Road? And some of them don't even know where Small House Road is. They know where Camel Lane is, and they know where Cave Mill is, they know where Three Springs is, and they know where I-65 is, and they know where Scottsville Road is, but a lot of them don't know where Small House Road is. And we can determine, as a church, to say, well, we're just going to settle down here and be happy here, cost too much to move somewhere else, or to build somewhere else, or after all, look what we've got here. And this is pretty good. Now listen, we can do that. And many will never know the difference. But little by little by little, God will say, so that's what you want. Is that what you want? Okay, good. I'll go out here and use somebody else to do the work that I really wanted Glendale to do. So when we sit at the Lord's table, we need to judge ourselves, that we be not judged. We need to determine deep inside of us what is God's plan, what is God's will for us, which way do we go, whither bound. And I want to guarantee you, if we ever buy property, it's going to be expensive. And in my judgment, in the years that I've been here, Glendale Baptist Church has never had the money to do anything that it ever planned to do. Man. It just started doing it, and God said, according to your faith, be it unto you. And I know that rubs, rubs grain the wrong way because there are many of us who would really like to operate like this. I want a car. I'm going to save the money until I can have the money to buy a car. That sounds great. The problem is, lots of people on the economy, economic background that some of our folks have would never have a car. You almost have to go to GMAC or Citizens or American and say, look, I need a car and I'll make some payments on it. And you say, preacher, you ought not to preach like that. Bill Gothard says you ought not to get in debt. I appreciate Bill Gothard. But if Glendale Baptist Church had, had operated under the Bill Gothard plan, we'd still be in a house on Jones Avenue. Some of you won't like what I'm preaching tonight. I'm just saying, we, we need to judge ourselves. And if we look into ourselves and we say, well, I'm satisfied and that's really what we need to do, God will say, okay, I'll, I'll love you. And you can have a wonderful fellowship. And you can enjoy being together and you can come together and... The vast people out there will never know you're there. They won't know it. Now, I know there's some alternatives to this. I wish we had a television program that could get the message of Jesus out through the televised ways. It costs money to do that. We could put a map and an ad in the paper every, every Friday but it costs about $80 a week to do that. 
gulp twice. You didn't know it was that expensive, did you? And you see, everywhere we turn, God is going to say, all right, what do you want? You can settle here, and you can have what you have, and it'll be all right, if that's what you want. Hey, Joshua, Joshua, if you want to stay on the other side of the river, the Jordan River, it'll be easier because if you go across into Canaan, you're going to have to fight. If you go up and surround Jericho, it's going to have call for a lot of faith because after all, those Jerichoites are pretty sharp and they could shoot at you and shoot you off the wall. And uh, you, 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 you know, if you want to stay on the other side of the river, just stay there because you'll have a good time and, and I'll love you anyway. God doesn't say, I won't love you. But it wasn't in Joshua's heart to do that. And do you know what happened? Joshua said to his men, you might call them minute men that surrounded him. He said, look, I know you tried to mutiny, commit mutiny with, with Moses. You took up stones several times to throw at him. But some men around Joshua said, anybody that does that to Joshua is going to have to pay for it. And they surrounded Joshua so that he was impregnable to all of that. And he said, let's march. And they marched across the Jordan. Let's go up to Jericho. God said to do that. And they went up there, didn't know any better. And they marched around foolishly seven times, seven days. And seventh day, they marched around seven times and blew their little old trumpets. And the walls came tumbling down. They didn't have to fire a shot. Why? Because they did what God said to do. Now, God judges churches. And if you judge yourself, you'll not have to be judged. If you look into your own vision, you'll not have to be judged. The nation Israel had some great problems in their lives and uh, they had to deal with them and after they dealt with them God blessed them well I could stay on this subject a long time I'll preach on it another time but let's think of the last thing God judges individuals we come to the Lord's Supper not only do we come as a nation, not only do we come as a family, not only do we come as a church, we come as individuals. In a few moments, we're going to take of the elements. And this scripture says, let every man examine himself. Look into your own life. That is, take stock. Do you have something in your heart against somebody Are you operating on the vision level or are you operating on just the practical level? Are you living where God answers prayer? Are you consistent in Christian faith? What about your life? Where does gossip fit into your life? Where do careless speech fit into your life? There was a young lady in our service this morning, Mrs. Wheeler brought her. And just this last week, 
uh, she goes to Vanderbilt. And this last week she was in a, she'd been in a Bible study with some navigators at Vanderbilt and she asked the Lord to come into her heart and then she, she said this to Miss Wheeler. She said, I wanted, I've been thinking about this a long time and I've wanted to become a Christian. But she said, when I looked around and saw the people that said they were Christians and the way they lived, I thought, it doesn't stack up. Christ must not be what they say he is. And so Jesus said, when you come to the table, when you come to the supper of the Lord, look, let your thoughts turn inward and check up on your life. Have sort of a self-inventory. Is my life lived in such a way that others can see Jesus in me? Is my life lived in such a way that I'm a, a witness for him? That others could find Jesus by the light that I shine, Amen. that shines forth for me. I like the song that says, let the lower lights be burning. Jesus is the big light, but we're the lower lights along the shore. Let the lower lights be burning. Send a beam across the way. Some poor, struggling, wayward brother may take heart again. I didn't get all the words right, but that's the phrase of it. Now, let's look at ourselves tonight. In a moment, when we take this supper, let's examine our own hearts. Why do I do what I do? Is it so that just duty, that's better than nothing, Somebody said, the only reason I read my Bible is because I can check my read my Bible every day. Well, that's better than nothing. A lot better. It's better than not reading it at all, but it's not the best reason. Somebody said, well, I don't dance because my church says you shouldn't dance. Well, I guess that's a, you know, that's a reason, and it's a lot better than going dancing, but it's not the best reason. There needs to be something inside of us that says the love of Christ constrains me. I love the Lord. Christ is all in all to me. Jesus is all the world to me. And I love him and I want to honor him. The Holy Spirit can add the rest to this message tonight. These things were on my heart. This probably is not really a sermon, but just a thought on this passage of Scripture. Let every man examine his own heart. May we pray. Our Father, we thank thee for this precious word of God and the reminder as we come to the Lord's table what we're to do and how we're to go about it accepting the elements of the Lord's Supper. Give us the reverential spirit of the Lord tonight as we observe this. We pray that in this next few moments anyone in this place who is not saved who has never come to Jesus, will come to Christ tonight and be part of God's family. And maybe somebody who needs a deeper walk with the Lord, or your spirit has spoken to them, needs to come and just kneel and pray about a matter, or make a commitment to Jesus. May they do it. In Christ's name, amen.